All right, this is Brent Leary, and with me right now is Alan Treffler. Alan is the CEO and founder of Pega, Pega Systems, and he's also the author of a really interesting book, Build for Change, Revolutionizing Customer Engagement Through Continuous Digital Innovation. Alan, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Brent. Appreciate it. So uh, there's a couple of different areas I want to cover with you. Um, but before we do that, maybe you can give us a little bit of your personal background. Well, sure. Um, I actually came to the world of computing and software through a brief uh, career as a professional chess player and chess master, and that sort of got me into trying to teach computers to play chess. And um, that was a lot of fun back in the old days before computers really began beating us up so badly. But um, <laughs> Uh, what happened is as I got exposed to sort of new ways of thinking about computing and in intelligent systems, um, I, I was really impressed with that. And then I went and worked in industry and was sort of blown away by how badly we use systems and, and how unfortunate it was. What, what I found is that there was a huge disconnect between the way people wanted their technology to work and, and how it actually worked. And it was really destroying the customer experience. And, and that led me to found Pegasystems at this point about three decades ago with the vision of creating a model-driven approach to tie it all together so you could go end-to-end, -end, you could provide great customer service, and you could do fulfillment at the same time. Well, yeah, uh, the fact that you guys started that long ago says a lot about the foresight you had. <laughs> well, I, I think it's more about persistence. You know, I think persistence is, is what's critical because views change. But, uh, you know, we've now built Pega into a company of about 3,700 people, and we've got a, a number of the world's best brands who depend on us uh, to be able to deliver their excellence and customer experience. You also wrote a book that I mentioned, Build for Change, and there is a term in there I have to ask you about. It's uh, customer apocalypse. Can you talk about what customer apocalypse is, and uh, it sounds kind of uh, kind of nasty for some companies that may not be able to make it past the customer apocalypse. Well, I think it's it's going to be devastating. You know, we're all used to seeing TV shows about the zombie apocalypse. Well, you know what we see today are customers that are becoming increasingly disenfranchised and are frankly expecting more from organizations and are able through social media and through other channels to just devastate companies that don't live up to those expectations. So uh, people are going to find, organizations are going to find faster switching, but also much, much more ability for their disenfranchised customers to, to be able to make that broadly known and to injure them. So, so companies really need to raise their games um, at a time when that's increasingly difficult. We hear the terms customer experience, uh, customer journey, customer engagement thrown around quite a bit, but how is customer experience actually driving the customer engagement uh, initiatives that companies have today? Well, you know, we, we see organizations that are trying and are talking about it a lot, but most of them are really messing it up. You know, what you find, particularly in medium-sized organizations or larger, is often there'll be multiple departments where each department thinks that it owns a channel. So you'll have the folks in the digital channel trying to create the perfect website, and, and folks you know, who are on the mobile app trying to create the perfect mobile app, and, and people in the contact center who are you know, trying to answer questions from clients coming in. Well, if those three things are disconnected, the customer experience in any one of them can be great, but the overall client experience, 
being served in their channel of choice is going to be a disaster. It's not going to be consistent. They won't be able to start in one place and finish in another. They're going to be you know, chopped to smithereens. And, and the customer apocalypse, a lot of it's about not thinking through the customer journey as it relates going across channels, just thinking about customer journeys that might be in you know, selling something or serving something, when in fact you need to think about that in the end-to-end dimension. From, from sale all the way through to support and, and continuity. And you also have to think about it in the multi-channel dimension to make all the channels operate according to the same set of rules, the same insight, and that they build on each other's experience to make stuff great for the clients. We're seeing this, The I don't know, are we calling it a customer revolution or a customer evolution, but customers are changing in their, their, their abilities to uh, adopt technology faster and faster and faster and then adapt their lifestyles to take advantage of what that technology can bring. Uh, how quickly are companies adopting? So I think most firms are going much too slowly. And a lot of times when they do move, they move in ways that don't actually break down the silos. Uh, to do this effectively, you need to think both end-to-end from touch to nurturing, to, to being able to sell and service, and you need to think end-to-end from all the cha- across all the channels you need to work on. And you need to have an architecture that's going to make it possible to apply a common model of client engagement across all, all of those dimensions. And, and a lot of companies, when they do move, they're just doing the next generation of silo. They're you know, sticking stuff up on the cloud, but that doesn't mean it's going to connect to the rest of your business or connect to the other channels that someone's going to come to. So and does that mean that most companies are they're just basically uh, using this modern technology to apply the same traditional ways of doing business? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think you see um, a replication in the way people are doing CRM of um, what's happened with Siebel, which I think has largely now you know, turned out to be a complete mess. Siebel was a dominant CRM system, but they required you to copy your data into their application. And as a result, things were always going out of sync and always confused. You now see these cloud-based CRM systems. And and by the way, technologically, the cloud is terrific. But the way that a lot of them are being applied is people are forced to copy their data into the cloud. You know, that was stupid when we did it 15 years ago. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's even more stupid now. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks, I think, are just opting for quick fixes that are just aren't going to get them to where they need to get. So Pega is, is really well known for uh, kind of for being a leader in the BPM space, but you also have a, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle from the CRM side of the house. How does the kind of the BPM foundation that Pega has, how does that help and benefit you guys as you compete more and more in the CRM space? Well, I think that it's, it's really critical to providing good customer experiences and improving efficiency. The way we see it, a good customer experience requires context in understanding the customer data. It requires insight, and you can think of insight as as really being an analysis of what the next best action is. And then it requires action, being able to actually do something. And that's what BPM is all about. Talk about Alpega maybe compares and contrasts with some of the big players in the CRM space, like the Salesforces and the Microsofts and 
and the Oracles and the SAPs. Uh, how how do you guys kind of compete in that space with those guys from from a different? Seems like they're coming at it from a different perspective than you guys. Yeah, I, I think they are. I think that um, every one of the other vendors you mentioned looks at the problem quite differently than we do. You see, I'd say most of them are just sort of tracking data records. They're keeping track of lists of opportunities and or, or customer records, often replicated, you know, duplicated from some other system, which, which as I mentioned, I think before is a recipe of dis for disaster. Um, we very much look to plug into an organization's existing systems, leverage instead of replicate the data, and bring the combination of insight, what we call next best action, and process together. And by the way, we are the category leaders in both real-time decisioning, that's the insight, and in BPM, that's the action. And so I believe that gives our clients who use our CRM system a real leg up. So there's been a lot of acquisitions taking place recently in the CRM space. Of course, I guess the big one is Microsoft buying LinkedIn. But before that, you had Salesforce buying Demandware. Yeah, you had Salesforce buying Steelbrick. Oracle has been buying stuff constantly <laughs> forever. Uh, give me your uh, your impression of those ideas and how do that? How do you think that will mold or shape the way things happen in the CRM space going forward? Well, you know, it's interesting because that's another place where we are as philosophically different than those companies as I could possibly imagine. So we do occasionally buy something, though most of our growth to $800 million a year in revenue has been organic. The 80% of it has been organic. But um, we, we, when we buy something, make sure that we really rebuild it into our architecture so that there's one end-to-end -end way to define the customer experience, to define the customer journey and fulfill for the client. Um, that's completely different than what you see with those other vendors. They create what I sometimes call a Frankenstack. You know, Dr. Frankenstein, he um, created a monster by sewing together pieces of dead people. And these companies are creating a monster by sewing together dead software companies. The leadership goes, the stuff never works right together. And I think when you see the, the failure of companies like IBM even, which was a major acquirer, um, you understand how this Frankenstein principle locks you into the past as opposed to making you agile and, and able to work into the future. So let's talk a little bit about the future from a PEGA perspective. Uh, uh, how do you see things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and the, the, the rise of the digital assistants? How, how does that play a role in what PEGA does moving into the future? So uh, we have built into our technology adaptive learning. So our system can evaluate the next best action recommendations, see what you're working, and tune them over time. And this is part of that industry-leading real-time interaction management technology that we have. So um, that's, I think, something that's central to making sure your systems stay smart. Um, relative to things like chatbots and other things, we plug into typically what customers currently have. Frankly, most of those are not yet ready to fight off the customer apocalypse. You know, most of those are a little too close to that clippy character that we all used to hate <laughs> in the Microsoft operating system years ago. We remember what happened to Clippy. I, I think we've got a new generation of Clippies here. 
Though eventually, I do believe it will work, and it will be a key part of our technology as well. So uh, the technology is coming together, but not quite ready for prime time. But when you look at the customer base and, and, and their readiness, what do they need to do to really take full advantage of uh, some of the things that you're offering and some of the things that are coming down the pipe? Well, I think what they need to do, or what our clients need to do, is make sure that they're thinking holistically, but acting locally. In other words, we want to get stuff up real fast. We've got customers, major customers with lots of interfaces that we've gotten live in eight or ten weeks. So we want things live fast, but we want them to be thought of as where they're going to have to be once you know, you've got all the different channels and once you've got the end-to-end process nailed. And that's where we can bring a lot of experience and knowledge about what end-to-end -end looks like um, to our client base. That's one of the important things I think we do working with them. Uh, and in the end, uh, how do what's the best way for companies to avoid the customer apocalypse? Well, I, I think it involves a new way of thinking. It, it involves getting business and IT to work together differently. It, it means you need to think about more than just what's immediately in front of you and how to fix a client's work clients in one channel. Think how you're going to go omni-channel and how that's really going to happen. And I also think, because I write in my book, that it means you need to move beyond having humans write computer code to fill the gaps in their systems to being able to have a model that's extensible that allows the computer itself to write the code. That's kind of our take on a version of sort of expert systems. Because, you know, our system lets people model things, how they want their business to run. And then we write the Java. And then if you change how you want it to run, we rewrite it. That really incorporates a whole new level of agility into an organization. That's kind of interesting to end on because I had just read an article out of uh, Sloan MIT about asking the question, will, will bots and, and machine learning, will that basically take over the executive decisioning process? Not, not even needing the executive anymore. It's, it sounds like yeah, I think that uh, I think you know our generations are safe from the rise of the machines. <laughs> you know these things are going to take a long, long time. You know I can't even get Siri to do what I asked her half the time, uh, <laughs> being pretty explicit. So I'm, I'm I sleep well at night, not worrying about the rise of the machine. Well, that's good. Uh, good for us all to know. Uh, thanks for for that perspective. And, and once again, thanks for your time. And where can people learn more about Pega and and also learn more about getting the book? Well, um, if you uh, take a look at www.pega.com, um, that's the place to find out about Pega. And there's a link to the book there where you can go right to Amazon and pick it up, as many people have. Maybe we can even ask our Echoes and Alexa to buy the book. And that'll be you know, that's a good use of that voice technology, I would say. So I, I love my Alexa. <laughs> Very good. Thank you.